Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ray, are you ready to get radical today? <laughs> Always. <laughs> and I Dude, mean, you forget where I was in 1992, man. My head was ready for this. Seriously, we've talked about this many times. The years of the ones and the twos since the 70s have released some incredible albums. And 30 years ago, maybe the most important protest album of all time was released. Still relevant since 1992. I'm going to bring up a long list of albums that were pretty good protest albums, too, before you or I were really into the swing of things. But... I think we should stay focused on what we're talking about today, which is... Rage Against the Machine, the debut album. Released November 3rd, 1992. Uh, like a lot of things, Marcus, the wheels have to turn a certain way for everything to align for these four guys to come together as this band. You had a couple of bands in California that had broken up in 1991. One of them was Tom Morello's band called Lockup. The other one was Zach De La Roca's band, Inside Out. Neither band was getting noticed. Well, Zach's band didn't really get anywhere. I think they had one uh, single or EP on Revelation. Lockup, which was Morello's band, they'd been signed to Geffen Records. They had an album out called Something Bitchin' This Way Comes in 1989. And they based it on Ray Bradbury's novel, a kind of a theme there. You know, I'm a big Bradbury fan. Something Wicked This Way Comes is one of his best books. So that's that cerebral part that would appeal to me, but it didn't connect out there. Former lockup drummer John Knox encouraged Tim Comerford and Zach De La Roca to join up with Morello because he thought that they would do well together. And then Morello afterwards reached out to Brad Wilk, who unsuccessfully auditioned for Lockup and also auditioned, and I did not know this until very recently, the band that would become Pearl Jam. What? I know. So at some point... How did I never know that? I don't know. Maybe we knew that and it just kind of flitted through our brains because of the fact that we learned so much. (laughs) That too. The 90s was insane. So they all get in the same room and get on the same page. And Zach had been writing songs that he felt really had something and didn't get a chance to do them with his band. So he brings them into the early sessions as they all get together and start working on what they would call Rage Against the Machine appropriately because that's pretty much the sense of it. We're going to rage against the motherfucking machine that is holding us all down, whoever we are, whatever they're doing to us. Jail cells free up from the pain in my home. 
is. Yes, I dwell in hell, but it's a hell that I can grip. I tried to grip my family, but I slipped to escape from the pain in an existence mundane. I got a nine, a sign, a set, and now I got a name. And that was the theme, and it resonated large with people who were just fucking fed up. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. People were pissed off at that time. Oh, and by the way, Ray, this is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. (laughs) I'm Marcus Goldman, and you are the other host, Ray Ray (laughs) Coop. I was doing the rocker show for a couple years. I think I told you, I played bomb track off a cassette. I got a two-song cassette from uh, Timmy Comerford and Brad Wilk while hanging out with them at a Megadeth Alice in Chains show at Roseland in New York with Mike Schnapp. We're all running into each other on the street on the way in. They slide me the cassette, and it's in my pocket the whole time, and I can't wait to go home and listen, right? So finally, I get to do that, and I'm in. I am all in, and when I get the album, forget it, man. This became an every week thing on our show. We play a different track every week, and it really reacted in Philadelphia, and it leads to a whole lot of fun. That's pretty exciting that you got to experience it that way, whereas I was just out of college, just finding my way in the world, going through an absolute crazy time in my life, and this band comes along and just wallops you upside the head. It was moving. I still remember the first time I heard Killing in the Name of Somewhere in the stacks, I'll find it. I had the cassette, and I popped that in the office, and then I popped it in the car, and I popped it in when I got home. I was listening to it for like three days straight, just absorbing it all, and starting to wonder how I was going to be able to play this stuff on the radio. It's all covered in curse words that even then you weren't going to get away with. Not with that regularity. (laughs) Yeah, that regularity definitely did not fit the artistic um, pass that you got from the FCC if there was a slip in of the poop derivative or something like that. Even after midnight, dude, they weren't going to take Killing in the Name unedited. They still don't. What's funny because that's the song Killing in the Name that we wanted to play on the show. So uh, in those days, if you wanted to edit a song, you had to actually lay it out on tape and then, you know, insert whatever you were going to insert to, you know, delete the expletive. 
And the master at that in those days on the rocker show on MMR was Metal Mike. And he probably still could pull it off if he had to, but he doesn't. And he went into uh, a production studio with the full tape of the song and the ending, of course, queued up. And from the body count, Air Ready OG album, he took the little and used those instead of the, the thing that you hear now whenever you hear that song on the radio. So he created his own little edit of it, and we put it on a cart, and we played the hell out of it. That's when Epic Records called and said, hey, can we get a copy of that? So we made them three, sent them up to New York, and then they were sent all around the country via FedEx to different people who had metal shows like I did, like Fingers in New York, right? Mm -hmm. Or whoever Willie was B playing. in Denver was doing that as well. Right, in and Chicago Uncle Nasty. Or, or in Texas. All, this, all the metal guys got a visit, with a, and they put it on a cart. Some of them probably still have that cart in their stack somewhere, Marcus. You know what I'm talking about, the kind yeah. of pack rats that we are in radio. Mm -hmm. But that made the rounds, and that was how it got to be the original edit out there. It's probably still used by some people. Oh, I can guarantee you the original edit is still used by some people. And it's so funny that you mentioned that whole editing process. It was a nightmare to edit out <laughs> profanity back then like a literal nightmare to edit rage against the machine killing in the name of took hours nowadays one of the tricks that you hear if you hear where the curse word's supposed to go and it sounds like a cassette rewinding what they do is we highlight the curse word and then hit reverse right and it. so it kind of sounds like back masking or something evil <laughs> <I'm guilty>. <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of things that are evil, Rage Against the Machine took a definite position against them. And they even chose uh, a stark image for the cover of the album, right? Mm-hmm. And a very important image. It's an image that completely changed politics at that time. John F. Kennedy was president at the time that picture was taken and the emoliated himself. And it's just such a gruesome scene to even think about. But what happened there is John F. Kennedy denounced the Vietnamese regime that was oppressing the people after seeing that photo kind of changed the direction of politics in that part of the world at that time. I can remember opening up my school history textbook and coming across a photo that still sticks with me to this day. It was of a man sat in the middle of the street, literally burning alive. We did not cover the topic, but I would take whatever chance I could to read about the man I came to know as Tick Quang Duk, the Burning Monk. It revolutionized the 90s, it revolutionized the music genres it was pulling from, and helped diffuse hip-hop and rock in a way that hadn't been done yet. And that's all credit to all four members of this amazing band, Rage Against the Machine. We're talking about that debut album, on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. So when it gets around to go into the studio, these guys kind of know what they want to do, but they do need somebody to be their spirit guide, so to speak. And they get Garth Richardson, also known as G -G Garth, 
right? Yes. Uh, and he's second generation. His dad worked with Alice Cooper and the Guess Who, Badfinger, and Poco. He'd been working as an engineer primarily with Chili Peppers and uh, Nickelback and the crew. That's a broad spectrum of stuff, right? He produced Kitty and Biffy Clyro, right? He's got an impressive uh, resume of bands behind him or under his belt as far as production goes. And people like that make a huge influence in not only the sound of the album, but in the growth of the band, too. When you have somebody like Mm -hmm. that who's able to help work with a band on their sound and help groom a band and help teach a band, it really makes an impact on the band. If you go to YouTube and you check out their very first concert at Cal State Northridge in 1991, and listen to the early bits of all these songs that are on the first album that we're talking about, you can hear that the foundation was there and you can see that the foundation was there in all aspects of that band. They just needed somebody like their producer to come in and kind of mold them a little bit. Say it, brother. Say it. Amen. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Thank God it came together this way, or thank Garth. And I just want to make a note. uh, We're not funning. When I said Garth, he is a lifelong stutterer, and that's how he got his nickname, because he stuttered when he would say his name. And he, he... Owned that shit, made it front and center, and has uh, produced some some of my favorite heavy stuff, like Testament's Low. He did Menace to Sobriety with Ugly Kid Joe, right? That's not the greatest album of all time, but I love that record when it was out. He worked with Skunk and Nancy, Mudvayne later, and over the last 20, 25 years, he's also worked with bands like Treyu and Rise Against and continues to work with new bands. Uh, into the 21st century, and he's part of what made this first album go. Pulled it all together, like you said. Before we go to the break, man, I just want to say that this album, the debut from Rage Against the Machine, isn't just a game changer for the world. It's a game changer for me personally, and I would almost say spiritually. It is absolutely one of the handful, maybe 10 albums I have that I can put on any time and love every track all the way through and when you think about how many albums you have that are really like that it's not really a lot that is true and while we can't always agree with everybody politically and their message we may not agree with all of it politically we can still relate and we can still understand them sharing their message opens the doors for discussion and i think that is something that was an important side effect or something that was very peripherally important to the release of this record because it got people talking. And we'll talk more about the debut from Rage Against the Machine after a word from our sponsors, Boldfoot Socks. I'm wearing mine right now as we record, Marcus. Mine are in the wash as I rode mine on my bike ride yesterday. (laughs) You are putting yours through a workout. 
And of course, we got to hear from Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, Delco, and Montgomery County. Next, more about Rage Against the Machine, the debut on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Hey, folks, if you haven't checked out Boldfoot Socks yet, go to their website and do it today, boldfoot.com. And if you like what you see and you want to place an order, you can save 15% on us by entering the code HISTORY15 in the discount box. Now, Marcus, you've had some great personal experience wearing your Boldfoot Socks. That is correct, Ray. I am an active cyclist. After hearing Josh tell us about his experience running a race in the desert in his bold foot socks. I had to give it a try on the bike, and they held really well. My feet didn't feel funky afterward, and after my spin class, my feet felt great. Not all wet and yucky. Wet and yucky, bad. Feeling bold, good. (laughs) Go to boldfoot.com and check out all the styles. And they've got a wide variety of styles, no matter what your mood is about your socks. And uh, colors, designs, it all fits into what you want out of a sock that holds up. And they definitely give you that support you need. I know from the times I've worn mine. Make sure you go to boldfoot.com and use the code HISTORY15 to get 15% off of your first order. Look. They're your feet. Be bold. Thirst. It's a need, Marcus. You need to satisfy a real thirst. And what a better way than with a nice, fresh craft beer at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro. And you can also visit Jamie's House of Music in Delco to get that very fresh and tasty Crooked Eye beer. Their music schedule's picked up at Jamie's House of Music. I follow them on Facebook, so you see a lot more shows going on there. And anytime they're open for shows, you can get your Crooked Eye there, get a growler, and take some home. Or you can head to Hatboro, and their schedule's picked up a lot, too. And my vinyl night is moving to its permanent home the second Tuesday of the month. Come and see us. Bring your vinyl if you want. Or I'll bring mine. You can't forget that Friday nights from 4 to 11, there's live music over at Crooked Eye and open mic night the first, third, and fifth Mondays of the month. First, third, fifth. I can't do math when I'm drinking at Crooked Eye. Well, the brews are cold and they're always fresh, always the favorites and something new on the board there at the brewery location in Hapro. Serving the cure for what ails you since 2014. We thank them for their support of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. It's the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll from Dark Duck Media. Ray and Marcus getting back into it, talking about Game Changers this week. And the debut album from Rage Against the Machine is exactly that, Marcus. And to some degree, the critics seemed to get it. The critics were all on top of it. There were so many that could not believe what they were hearing. NME on the other side of the pond said, What makes Rage Against the Machine more than just another bunch of prodigiously capable genre benders? Is their total lack of pretension or contrivance? The results burn with an undeniable conviction. That is so, so true. They are so convicted in not only their music, but in what they are saying. Q Magazine deemed it a record of real attitude and energy. And you might expect that. 
from the alternative press, Marcus, but Robert Hilburn from the good old L.A. Times even got behind it, calling it a striking, politically conscious debut, and compared Zach to a combination of Bob Marley and Chuck D in style, which was really a stretch for the time. And there were people who did not believe in it either. The Village Voice was one place that was kind of like, eh, metal for rap lovers and opera haters while naming eh. Know Your Enemy and Wake Up as highlights, which... That's all a of bullshit that. review. Yeah. But what mattered most, Marcus, is were asses moving to the bins to pick it up? And the answer was, hell yes. From the limited airplay and the shows they were doing, they were getting airplay from initially the alternative college kids and metal radio. That set a spark off that got a larger amount of airplay as they continued to you know, work tracks from this debut album. So the immediate reaction to that from the rockers crowd who are really good about telling us if they like something and that would lead to them coming to play in philly in a visit that mike schnapp still talks about with those guys he and i were talking about it recently he brought them in after a show i want to say it was at dobbs that they did play there that was an insane night where the place was nearly destroyed downstairs they came in, uh, Tim and Brad, and we played the unedited version of Killing in the Name on the air. Tim still says it's one of the most fucking punk rock things anybody did when they visited a radio station. It was 1.30 in the morning. Was anybody really going to notice? Going to be pissed off? And afterwards, afterwards, he looks at me and he goes, right now, there are kids carving your initials into their headboard because they just heard you play that. And I, we all just laughed about it, but I thought about it later and I go, fuck, maybe he's right that bonded me to those guys hanging with them that night and them coming in the studio after we went to see you know a couple bands that we both love together up in new york and uh, them handing me the music and saying yeah go play it because i knew i wanted to because schnapp never steered me wrong i don't think ever um by the way the research department wanted to let everybody know rage against the machine played jc dobbs january 22nd 1993 People of the Sun, Bomb Track, Fistful of Steel, Wake Up, Settle for Nothing, Bullet in the Head, Killing in the Name, and Freedom were the songs they played that night. Am I standing in line? Am I believing the lies? Am I bowing down to the flag? Do I got a bullet in my head? Are you standing in line?
Thank you for that reminder. I was there getting the shit kicked out of me in the middle of it. It was in the most amazing night at Dobbs, which is reopened, by the way, under yeah. new management. It's kind of cool. Yeah. They're trying to bring it back, man. Yeah. It's called Dobbs on South now. They had the uh, speakers, the, the the tops, you know, the treble speakers in the mids were hanging from the ceiling and they were on chains. And that night they were swaying, man. I was sure those speakers were coming off the chains, out of the ceiling, something. People were flying all over the place, over the bar, behind the bar, out the door, round back in, crazy night. And they would go on to play in Philly many times, but that might be the most fun night. <laughs> hey, two months later, they played the Trocadero. Like yeah. Right after also that. Also crazy. I'm sure of it. And then Lollapalooza, and then it went from there in 93. When we talk more about Rage down the line, or Lollapalooza in 93 down the line, got to talk about that day. What an amazing day for me in Philadelphia, experiencing all my favorite bands on a pile of dust that used to be JFK Stadium. It was glorious. I was out in Denver experiencing all those bands and the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow, which is going to be absolutely a blast to talk about when we do a, an episode on like Lollapalooza and all that. One quick note before we start talking about the music. After all the fuss over the debut album was done, Epic Records did come to us to offer us a platinum album, which I thought was really great. Right now, it hangs in the home of one of my dear friends, Metal Mike. And I told them, you have to give it to him, because he's the one who spent all those hours editing Killing in the Name so that it would become a hit all over radio, all across America. And they agreed. So Metal Mike has the platinum for we Killing in the Name. All right, let's roll that bomb track, Marcus. You know how it gets it started, because you get going with this one, and you think, man, this is going to be fun. Oh my God, bomb track so good, and just the lines, the the way he raps, the way he puts his words together. You can tell he's educated, he's intelligent, he's clever. what he's doing because I love the line when he says it started as a sketch in my notebook and it just that line still resonates with me today whenever I think of bomb track that first song gets 
things started sets the stage almost the way that an MC might and get you ready for the song that really caused controversy at the beginning but has become anthemic of what needs to be changed in our country I'm talking about the one and only we've talked about it already ladies and gentlemen pound for pound round for round fuck you after fuck you it's killing in the name of love Again, I think generationally, this might be one of the most important protest songs just because so many people know this and it means so much to so many people and it means something different, I think, to a lot of people as well. I think everybody has their own rage against the machine and I think this is the song that brings out their own personal rage. They understood their role in what you're discussing here, Marcus, when they did Ain't Gonna Work on Annie's Farm No More, which was a Dylan protest song. And they set the stage for their own statements to further their commentary earlier with Take the Power Back. motherfucker <laughs> I mean it is that so it is take the power back motherfucker and again this album just continues to pummel you as you listen to it through and through and it's not one of those albums you can just lay on the floor with the lights out and headphones on and listen uh-huh. to I mean you got to be kind of walking around in your room or moving or standing up because it brings out that energy in you. I listened to Settle for Nothing a few times again this morning before we recorded. One of the things that stood out to me about this song is it seemed to touch on the mental health erosion of our society because of the system, the oppression, and you can feel the anger and the pain and the confusion in his voice when he lays it out. And it leads to anger, even though there's plenty of full expression on this album uh when they get the bullet in the head and the way he is just screeling over it the way that morello and the guys are providing the music under him the way it all comes together it's experiential it's almost painful
think about it. Great music is supposed to make you feel what the artist is feeling. I don't know if anything does that better than Bullet in the Head on this debut from Rage Against the Machine. In the in the scheme of this album, are there songs that are bigger? Yes. More popular? Yes. But that one really gets down to the primal. It should make you feel something when you hear it. And if you haven't heard it in a while, I recommend you go back and listen to this album all Yikes. the way through from beginning to end because you will hopefully understand some of what we're talking about as we go through this album. And that theme continues on Know Your Enemy with help from their buddy Maynard James Keenan, who's also from L.A. My favorite song on this album to this day. I still Timmy's love this bass song. riff when he uh, comes out of the break. Oh, Jesus. Yep. And Maynard's vocals when he screams, Time to... And he screams it out, and I such I butchered it, and I humbly apologize to Maynard because he's got an amazing voice, and I have a horrible voice. Know your enemy. It just hits me to the bone. And the lyrics, I think, are really relevant, like all the other songs on the album. It holds true today, 30 years later. And right there, Marcus, they could stop, and I would have said, man, that's just an amazing album. But there's more. Songs like Wake Up. These are direct message songs telling people to pull your head out of your ass. Look at what's going on around you. Now, if you look at life in real time back then, we were in the time of Rodney King and OJ and the beginning of the suppression of the working class at a, at a higher level. And they were seeing it, where they were from, what they were about. And they're telling people to wake up. And there was violence. There's no no doubt about that there was violence going on in regards to all this. In, in some ways, it was fighting back. And songs like Fistful of Steel or Township Rebellion come into play. Township Rebellion goes into the politics of South Africa, so... Not only are these guys concerned about the politics of America, they're concerned about all people all over the world. They care about people. They really do. They care about the oppressed. They care about those that are suffering. What we have learned as of late here on this little blue marble is that that is more important now or more true now than ever. We are all Ukraine. 
And uh, the last song, Freedom, expresses in their own unique manner what we're really all about here, what it's really all about for them, for this record, and for the sentiments they're expressing and what we're talking about. People got to be free, Marcus. But I also think that they understand that along with freedom comes responsibility and their society rules and laws and norms that go with freedom and there's a way to have an incredible balance of both without stepping on anybody else's freedoms or stepping on anybody else's individual rights. And I think those things are often overlooked because some of their other messages are scary and they make people uncomfortable. We need to be uncomfortable before we can heal. We have to become more uncomfortable to talk about these things that need to be discussed. It's why we haven't made enough progress. We haven't been willing to do what Marcus just said, and we have to. We have to talk more about all this and other things. And there's a couple people right now who are affecting a lot of fear and pain in the world. And the world will respond, I suppose. The world always seems to catch up to the evil and the wicked, doesn't yep. it, somehow? Oops, he fell down the steps. <laughs> Not only that, Mother Nature will step in and fix the imbalance in the world herself. I'll say one thing. Before we get ready to wrap this up, I wish Rage Against the Machine were here now because I suspect, unless they run out of things to say and write together, that they'd be giving us some pretty good ideas about how to deal with shit. I don't know if they're going to hear this, but if they do, I hope that they'll take it to heart. I love that Tom still gives us music. I love that Brad and Tim have continued to work together. I miss Zach and his voice. It would continue to be loud and clear over the next few albums. This first time we heard it, it was a game changer for me, a life changer musically. It was one of the albums at that time, along with a lot of the punk albums I grew up listening to, that encouraged me to read and to learn about what was going on around the world and to see different points of views. Because if you can learn from other people and have conversations with other people, it will change how you view the world in a good way because you will learn a lot about people and that's something we need to do and you can grow and evolve and change your viewpoints if you're listening to us you enjoy conversation and we suggest you have more of them with the people in your life and see if we can all start moving in the right direction it seems that the situation over in europe is giving us a point on which we can mostly all agree and it's been rare lately so i appreciate that for what it is and hope for a peaceful outcome over there sooner than later. That's all I can do. It's all we can do from here in the Dark Talk Studios. We're just a couple of numb nuts with microphones and headphones, dude. <laughs> bad hair today. We both got bad hair it's today. Mon it's Monday hair on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, if you've got some input on the debut from Rage Against the Machine, we want to hear from you. Do they get lost trying to find us? Because we have so many. I mean, we, you can email us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. That's easy. Also, we have Facebook, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, Instagram, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, and you can find us on Twitter at Imbalanced Histo. So signing off, I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. This has been Rage Against the Machine on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.